Is this on? There we go. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to White Oak Baptist Church. Let's find our places. Uh, it's good to see smiling faces. Everybody's happy. I love that. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Isn't that right? Let's turn to him 413, just over in glory land. 413. We'll sing the first, third, and fourth. Let's all stand together. <clears throat> I've a home prepared where the saints abide just over in the glory land. And I long to be by my Savior's side just over in the glory land. Just over in the glory land, I'll join the happy angel band just over in the glory land. Just over in the glory land, there with a mighty host I'll stand. Just over in the glory land, number three. What a joyful thought that I'll see just over in the glory land. And with kindred saved there forever be just over in the glory land. Just over in the glory land, I'll join the happy angel band. Just over in the glory land, just over in the glory land, there with the mighty host I'll stand. Just over in the glory land, number four. With the blood washed strong, I will shout and sing, just over in the glory land. Glad hosannas to Christ the Lord and King, just over in the glory land. Just over in the glory land, I'll join the happy angel band, just over in the glory land. Just over in the glory land, there with a mighty host I'll stand. Just over in the glory land. Good morning. Welcome to White Oak Baptist Church. So glad all of you are here today. I hope you had a good week and that uh, you uh, got everything done you hope to get done and that uh, you're ready to go for church this morning. Amen. Looking forward to it. Have uh, thoroughly enjoyed the Back to the Basics uh, series so far. Looking forward to another sermon in that uh, series this morning. Thankful for a young church. Amen. All right. Churches that don't have babies crying it sometimes, they're dying and they're, they're, they're on the way out. So we're thankful for that. Praise the Lord. All right. Let's, um, let's uh, greet one another. Hold on. Before we shake hands, I just want to say this. Flu season is upon us. If you think you're sick, don't shake anybody's hand. All right? You can give them an elbow bump. Um, you can give them a nod. And my strong recommendation is that you don't put your fingers in your mouth until you wash your hands first. All right? So uh, how many have hand sanitizer on your person? Share. All right. Don't be greedy. All right. Share that with people around you after the handshaking time. Okay. With that in mind, let's greet one another in the Lord.
Let's sing that chorus together. Just over in the glory land, I'll join the happy angel band. Just over in the glory land, just over in the glory land, there with the mighty host I'll stand. Just over in the glory land. Let's go to the Lord in prayer today and ask God to give us a good time in his house and that we uh, get everything out of church that we, uh, we need from while we're here today. Pastor Mike, please come pray for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day you've given to us. And what a great day it is so far. Lord, to be in your house is a blessing. God, give us a good message. Give us a great time in your house, Lord. May we worship you in spirit and in truth, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Let's turn our hymnals once again to hymn 563, Go Ye in All the World. We'll sing the first, second, and fourth. Far, far away in heathen darkness dwelling, millions of souls forever may be lost. Who, who will go salvation story telling looking to Jesus minding not the cost all power is given unto me all power is given unto me go ye into all the world and preach the gospel hello I am with you See ere the world wide open doors inviting soldiers of Christ arise and enter in. Christians awake, your forces are uniting. Stand forth the gospel, break the chains of sin. All power is given unto me. All power is given unto me. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Hello, I am with you always. Number four. God speed the day when those of every nation, glory to God, triumphantly shall sing. Ransom redeemed, rejoicing in salvation, shout hallelujah for the Lord is King. All power is given unto me, all power is given unto me. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, and lo, I am with you always. Ushers, you can make your way forward at this time. Do we have anybody visiting with us this morning? Is this your first time here or is first time in a very long time? We'd like to uh, just welcome you, give you a connection card as a, and a thank you for coming. Anybody, if you wouldn't mind, just slip up your hand. All right, good to see some familiar faces back in the crowd. We got Swin back here with us. It's been a while. Good to see you back, buddy. And other than that, I think we're all just a regular folks today. I'd like to take just a couple of minutes. Thank you, guys. I'd like to take just a couple of minutes and talk to the church about uh, some upcoming projects that we have in mind. Uh, but before I do that, I'd like to have Brother Owens. Where are you at, Brother Owens? 
areas. Brother Owens, you can start making your way up. Uh, Brother Owens has got some uh, instructions uh, for us in regards to church finances. He is our church treasurer. Does a great job of uh, taking care of that. Does that out of a volunteer of his time. And so he's got going to come up and uh, give us some instructions about that. And then I'll have some comments on the back end. Brother Owens. All right. I'll be in the back later. Uh, some of you have received your giving reports. I called them a pew tax. That's really not what they are. Uh, but uh, if you wanted to give towards a pew tax, we would be more than willing to put that to the Lord's work. Uh, so I have these. I'll give them out uh, in the back later. Uh, one of the areas I wanted to go over is our giving books. Uh, the books have worked out very well last year, uh, numerically, unless they've been misplaced. But in here, as you look at those, and the pew envelopes now are matching to the uh, book. So if you want to grab a pew envelope in front of you, you can at least look and you'll know exactly where we're talking about. Uh, on the left-hand side there, you see where it says tithe. Uh, tithe is a Bible word. It means 10% of your income. And uh, you, people say, well, that's an Old Testament. No, no, we can look. And you can do a Bible study and see that tithing was taking place before the law and tithing takes place after the law. And really, if you think about it, I always used to love what Pastor Brown said. If grace, if the law went this far and grace goes that much further, then our giving should go that much further also. Um, but tithing there, the tithe is not your missions giving. It's not your debt retirement. It's not capital improvement. The tithe is a tithe that comes into the storehouse to take care of the work of God. Uh, you know what? The, the heat has to be paid for and the lights have to be paid for and all of the other things that go on in a ministry. Yes, it's not a business, but there's a measure of business in the ministry. Because uh, if you're not wise as a church financially, uh, then you're going to wind up, you're going to do harm to the work of God. Uh, so we want to be careful. So our tithe, it does not get broken out. When you tithe, it doesn't get broken out as missions and debt retirement and capital improvement. No. The tithe is the tenth that goes to the Lord. And your missions, debt retirement, capital improvement, bus ministries, any other giving is above and beyond that point. So, you know what, think about this for a minute. If you, if you every week you put a, a check in there and you mark it as debt retirement but you don't tithe, I would say, and I think we could look at it biblically and say, you're not being obedient to God yet. Uh, you're giving, praise the Lord for that. I can remember sitting in church and, and when I first got saved, sitting there and the Lord was speaking to me. He'd be like, I'd have $2 in my pocket for the week. Here I am, a, a, a husband with two children, the wife, and... Lord, all I have is $2. What do you want me to give? And he'd say, I want you to give everything. I want you to give it all. And I've seen God turn that about and take care of our family in ways that are just beyond. If I started talking to you about all that God has done for somebody who may have learned a little measure of being faithful in the area of finances, I'd talk to you the rest of the day and then tell you come back next week for the rest of the stories. But uh, learn to do that. But So just, just a reminder, our tithe is a tithe, missions, debt retirement, capital improvement, bus ministries, all those type of extra giving offerings, those are above and beyond your tithe. And let's get that area of tithing down pat. Uh, you can look. Honestly, uh, I, I prepared 145 giving reports. I have some still here. You can't look, and I don't look at every giving report. I couldn't tell you right now. I, we printed them, and the printer, they just bundle them. I take them over to Staples. Staples folded them, and in about 20 minutes last night, I stuff in envelopes. Nobody's going through and looking to see what you give. But you look at your giving on that report and see, did I tithe this year? And that's a question just between uh, you and the Lord. All right. Thank you, Brother Owens. If you look back at that envelope, you'll see that category, Capital Improvement. 
This year we're going to try to conquer some uh, beautifying of the buildings. And we've got to keep the uh, house of the Lord in proper order and looking good uh, and uh, respectable and presentable. This is the house that God dwells in. I'd encourage you to come back tonight. I'm going to talk about uh, that uh, at length out of the scriptures. But I wanted to present this to those of you that aren't able to come on Sunday nights uh, just briefly. March 25th, by March 25th, our goal will be to have raised $20,000 so that we can uh, redo our uh, refinish our our parking lot and then put a new sign up out front advertising our church. And so uh, if the Lord uh, would move in your heart, uh, go home, talk to your family about it. If you're married, if you're uh, a single uh, person, go home and pray and talk to the Lord about that by yourself and uh, consider what sacrifice you can make in helping us get to that $20,000 line so that uh, in the spring we can have our parking lot redone. Many of you have noticed that our parking lot, uh, the lines are beginning to fade. There are places where it's spidering and cracked. And so uh, we take care of our own properties. We've got to take care of uh, uh, God's house, God's property. So uh, go home and pray about that. Consider that what you can do and then uh, uh, begin to give toward that up on the screen during both the uh, collecting of the offering and, and uh, pre-service. We will be showing up there a digital thermometer uh, and how much money has been raised so far. We've had four hundred and seventy five dollars of the twenty thousand give toward it. So we've got a long ways to go, but uh, go home and pray and and uh, and seek the Lord on that. The other thing I wanted to quickly talk with you all about, uh, Vision Sunday night, we announced uh, several things. Some of those were uh, improvement projects. Uh, some of those were soon to be uh, uh, changes in our music ministry for the better. It won't be a step to the left. It'll be a step forward. I'll talk about that more at another time. Another one of the changes uh, we talked about was the possibility of starting a Christian school. And so I want to just give you an update with where we are on that. Uh, I... Uh, told the church that Brother Verone was a, a candidate, a possible candidate to take our school and go with it. Uh, Brother Verone came up and addressed the church and let the church know that he had one last interview remaining of his 140 different uh, applications that he had put in in several interviews, one last remaining down in Georgia. He asked the church to pray for him, that God would make it abundantly clear for him and his family uh, where he wanted them to go. Uh, Brother Verone and I spent the last uh, Thursday and Friday together quite a bit of time. We had a lot of time to talk and, and, and pray and seek God's face on this. We want God's will for the Verone family, and we want God's uh, will for a school administrator of a potential school here. And so through much prayer and, and hours and hours of conversing and, and talking it through, uh, Brother Verone has received a call from the hospital down in Georgia after his interview, and they have made him an offer to come down there and work. We don't know when uh, or we don't all the details haven't totally been worked out. It's looking highly favorable that it's going to go that direction and that God would move the Verone family, uh, at least mom and dad, uh, to uh, to Georgia and be a part of that ministry. And so uh, we'll uh, we'll say more about that in the days and weeks to come as those details unfold and, and come together. Uh, Brother Verone has been a staple of this church and his family since the 1980s. Uh, he's the chairman of the deacon board. Uh, I consider him a, a great friend and a wonderful, wise counselor. And it would have been a joy to have him be the administrator, but that clearly at this point is not God's will uh, for our school. You say, well, so what is the future of the school? Well, I have another uh, individual that I am speaking to about coming up and doing it. And so we'll see where that goes. Uh, he's highly qualified to do so. He was part of getting the school up and off the ground that my dad started down in Baltimore uh, back in uh, uh, the year 2000. 
And so um, I had a lengthy conversation with him uh, scheduled for Monday, and I've already had a conversation with him prior to this. And so uh, they're beginning to pray very hard and diligently about the, the prospect of it of coming up here and that happening. So pray with us in that regard, and we will keep you posted. So that update on those things. So go home and pray and ask the Lord what you can do to contribute toward our parking lot remodel, and then pray about uh, the starting of our school, and pray for the Verone family as they um, uh, carefully consider the God's future for them uh, in this area. All right. With all that said, we'll have our choir come and sing for us. Let's all stand and sing hymn 520. Have I done my best for Jesus? We'll sing the first and the last. I wonder, have I done my best for Jesus, who died upon the cruel tree? To think of his great sacrifice at Calvary, I know my Lord expects the best from me. How many are the lost that I have lifted? How many are the chained I've helped to free? I wonder, have I done my best for Jesus? When he had done so much for me, number four, no longer will I stay within the valley. I'll climb to mountain heights above. The world is dying now for want of someone to tell them of the Savior's matchless love. How many are the lost that I have lifted? How many are the chain I've helped to free? 
I wonder have I done my best for Jesus when he has done so much for me. You may be seated. Ushers, if you would please make your way forward. In your bulletin, you have an announcement for the Valentine Banquet on February 10th. I know I've texted some of you uh, this past week regarding that. Uh, there is a change to it uh, in regards to price and location. February 10th, uh, our church is having the Valentine Banquet at Orono Country Club. Uh, same day, February 10th, from 6 to 9. The cost is now $60 per couple. Um, if you could help me out, and um, those of you that plan on attending, come see me and just let me know uh, whether you plan on attending. It's open to married couples and also dating couples, so please uh, just let me know as soon as you can so that I can mark you down as attending. So, again, it's Orono Country Club, four minutes away from here, uh, $60 per couple uh, on the 10th from 6 to 9. So if you could, just let me know as soon as service is over if you plan on attending. If I could have Mike Yankowski pray for this morning's offering. I am happy today and the sun shines bright, the clouds have been rolled away. For the Savior said, whosoever will may come with him to stay. All 
my hopes have been raised, though His name be praised, His glory has filled my soul. I've been lifted up, gone from sin set free, His blood hath made me whole. Whosoever surely meaneth me, surely meaneth me, oh, surely meaneth me. Whosoever surely meaneth me, whosoever meaneth me. Oh, what wonderful love, oh, what grace divine, that Jesus should die for me. I was lost in sin, for the world I pine, but now I am set free. Whosoever surely meaneth me, surely meaneth me, oh, surely meaneth me. Whosoever surely meaneth me, whosoever meaneth me. All right, Psalm chapter 12 in your Bibles. Psalm chapter 12. Let me really encourage you couples to get involved with that Valentine banquet. And you'll, uh, you'll enjoy it. Listen, it's going to be at the Orono Country Club. The food's going to be excellent. It's going to be a food buffet of uh, really high-end quality food. Uh, it'll be a nice ambiance. And uh, listen, you can't eat at a country club for under 60 bucks normally. So I would say, uh, men, get out there in the lobby and sign up, you and your wife. To be there, you'll be so glad you did. It is an, it is an adult-only event, and so children and teenagers are not permitted. And so I, he said dating couples, you got to be an adult dating couple. Amen? And so, uh, but wanted to make sure we got that out there. But uh, we've got a lot planned. We've got a speaker lined up. Uh, we've got uh, some uh, really hilarious marital videos that we want to show you. Twenty years ago when churches did these things, they'd do a skit. Now we just put a YouTube video on the screen. So... Uh, that's uh, that's the advantage of living in 2018. We can show you everybody else's skits, so we don't have to come up with our own. But uh, you'll want to come to that, and so get in the back there. There is a sign-up sheet in the back. You can either let Pastor Mike know or sign up for that. And then you may have noticed that we've got some other family activities. There's the uh, kids' activity coming up, I believe, on the 3rd of February, and that they're going to a bounce house uh, together as a as a group. I believe uh, the information's there in your bulletin. If it's not, it will be next week. And then... Um, Ladies, you've got a paint night with your Be Real Ladies activities, and I believe that's the first Thursday of February. That's going to be phenomenal. You, uh, the last time they did that, it was a big hit, so you'll want, to, um, you'll want to be there for that. All right, let's stand for the reading of God's Word, Psalm chapter 12. We're going to read verses 6 and 7 together out loud. So both verses together out loud in unison, beginning in verse 6. Ready? The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. I preach a sermon by this title, The Need for an Every Word Bible. The Need for an Every Word Bible. Let's pray. God, I ask this morning that you help us as we continue in the month of January explaining and valuing this precious book, Lord, the, the book that contains all of the foundation of what we believe and uh, where we stand, why we congregate on Sunday mornings, why we live our lives a little bit different than the rest of the world. A book that, God, if we don't embrace it and understand intellectually why 
we believe it, then, Lord, we will be tempted to ignore it and we will be persuaded to uh, maybe set it to the side at some point in our lives. So I pray that these sermons this month, and specifically this sermon today, would go a long ways in solidifying in our mind how important and special of a book that we have. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Normally I give you a somewhat lengthy introduction, but this morning I am not going to do that. Uh, all I will say before we get into the outline this morning, is this. Uh, last week, we looked at the inspiration of the Bible. Now, you might say, well, what does that mean? That word inspiration is the idea that God breathed out the Bible into the ears of those who wrote the Bible. So, uh, mankind did not author the Bible. God authored the Bible, and He used... Uh, 39 or 40 different men as secretaries to write down on earth what had already been established uh, in heaven. The Bible says, forever, O Lord, forever, O Lord, thy word is established in heaven. That word forever implies eternity past and eternity future. It is a line with an arrow on each end. It is without beginning or end, the Bible is. And so uh, this is not a bunch of men's opinions uh, this book is God's words given uh, to us. And so God breathed out this book, uh, the Bible, uh, uh, to man, uh, gave them to them. And uh, he, uh, the, uh, the Bible says that they were the oracles of God. And the Bible tells us in First Peter that the word of God is not without uh, private interpretation, meaning that this Bible is not some man's opinion about how to live life. This is God giving us his book, and telling us how to live. So, uh, as I prayed a minute ago, all January long, we're going to lay a foundation of biblical supremacy and authority uh, that can rest in each one of our hearts. Now, I propose that we must have in every word Bible so that we can know exactly and precisely how God wants us to live our lives. If your Bible is not 100% accurate, then how can you trust any of it? If there is an error in your Bible, then how do you know there aren't others? Oh, well, pastor, it was just one. Well, again, how do you know there aren't others? If there is an error in your Bible, then how can we believe any of it? Um, we must learn to trust our Bible so that the Bible can change our hearts and lifestyles for the better. So let's look at three main ideas as we dive into this topic of our need for an every word Bible. Point number one, idea number one is this, the preserver, the preserver. Take your Bibles and turn over to Job chapter number seven. If you don't know where Job is, go to Psalms, that's right in the middle of the Bible, and turn back one book. Uh, Job is the book right before Psalms. And so Job chapter number seven. Now we know the backstory of Job. Uh, uh, most of us do. Job was the richest man walking the planet. Job was around before the Bible was ever even written. It's a fascinating how much science and biblical doctrine Job knew without a Bible. It must have had God teaching him these things. But Job um, uh, had everything and in about, and in about 15 minutes he lost everything. So he had it all, then he lost it all. 
And then uh, and then uh, his health was taken from him. He was covered in boils and sores. He found himself at the city dump with a piece of broken pottery, scraping the pus out of his sores. His wife said, Job, you just should curse God and die. And Mrs. Job walked away and wanted to have nothing to do with him, at least for the time being. And God was trying to grow Job and teach him some things. Job chapter number seven and verse number 20, the Bible says, I have sinned. What shall I do unto thee? And notice how Job addresses God. O thou preserver of men. O thou preserver of men. What hast thou set me? Why hast thou set me as a mark against thee so that I have a burden to myself? And so Job does not understand why he's going through what he's going through at this point in the story. But he turns and he calls God the preserver. The preserver. Now, we will learn throughout uh, the, this first point that God defines what a preserver is. So, if you say that someone is the preserver, you are saying that they are the chief preserver, okay? Uh, I'm going to say a, uh, I'm going to give you a couple of other, uh, 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 thoughts along this idea, and I want you to, it's like a name association. I'm going to give you a title, and I want you to let me know what the first thing that comes to your mind is, alright? Ready? The Terminator. The Terminator. Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? The knocking on the door, are you, and says the girl's name. Pow! Right? I'm not endorsing the movie, right? But you think of the Terminator, right? He is the Terminator. How about the finisher? The finisher. Any names come to mind? I always think of Michael Jordan, the finisher. He, uh, he had the clutch gene, right? He could finish games. Somebody looking at me like, who's that? Come on now, you're not that old. Um, the finisher. Uh, now, this isn't necessarily name association, but the champion. If you say that guy is the champ. Where is security to escort that guy? Get him out of here. Now, um, um, go Jaguars. That's all I have to say. Um, the champion in my house, uh, and I got this from my dad. My dad used to pick on me this way, so generational, right? I pass it down. I hated it when my dad did it to me, but I love doing it to my son. I will say, I am the champ, and you are the chump. You are the chump. And so uh, I'll, I'll walk around and say, I am the champion. You are the champion. That means you are the chump of all chumps, right? And so we go back and forth and have a good time with that. He'll say that I'm the chump. And my dad, back when DOS Prompt was a big deal, uh, my dad, uh, uh, in order to get into a particular game, he went in and rewrote the code. And so you had to type in the DOS Prompt line to open the game. Dad is the champ and I am a chump. <laughs> Just to open the game, Right. And uh, so we quit playing the game. And so um, uh, we weren't able to beat our dad's top score anymore. But the champion. How about this? The way, the truth, the life. Who do we think of with that? Jesus Christ. Jesus isn't just the way, the truth, the life. While he is all those things, we know that Jesus, in the form of his deity, God, he is the preserver. The preserver. Now, there are textual critics that will actually say this. When I get through the sermon today, you're going to be like, how could anybody be that foolish? There are, actual, there are actually textual critics that will say, God inspired the Bible. He breathed out the words. The original manuscripts were from God, but He didn't preserve the Bible. And I would say, well, wait a minute. God is the preserver. 
The preserver. So if you do a word study on this idea of being a preserver, you'll see just how important preserving thing is to God. Uh, let me give you letter A here. He preserves the sanctity of life. And we're going to move through most of these really quick here. Genesis chapter 45 and verse 5, we find Joseph revealing himself to his brothers. Joseph had been sold into slavery by his brothers, uh, and uh, off as a slave he went, uh, and on into Egypt, and he was uh, uh, taken and uh, uh, put in Potiphar's house. He would rise to the top of Potiphar's house. He would be accused of, of deeds he did not commit by Pharaoh's wife. He'd be thrown down into prison, and then from prison he would be raised up to be made second in command by some very bizarre events. If you don't know the story, I would encourage you to go read the last 17 chapters of Genesis. It will blow you away just uh, what good care Character will do for someone and when God puts their hand of protection around them. But here come the brethren into the city and they're looking for food and Joseph's in charge of all the food. And Joseph says to all the brethren, uh, he says to them, uh, I am your brother. After a long set of events, finally he reveals himself and they are blown away that this brother of theirs they had sold into slavery some decades before is now in charge of the entire world. Blown away and they're awestruck, they're dumbfounded, they're speechless. Look at, uh, let, let me read for you Genesis 45, 5. It says, Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. God sent me before you to preserve life. How much does God value life? So much so that He allowed Joseph to be sold into slavery so that Joseph could save all of the people's lives. God's looking uh, uh, several years before, decades before, ahead in time and saying, I'm going to allow this selling of Joseph as a slave so that Joseph can preserve life. Why? Because I, the king of kings, the creator of all mankind, value life. I want to preserve life. By the way, do you know that that... Uh, through Joseph's actions, he did not just preserve the life of those who were righteous. He preserved the lives of those who were wicked. You know why? Because God does not look at the amount of sin in your heart to decide whether or not He values you. God values you because He created you. The older I get and the more I read and study the Bible, the more convinced I am that Things that are attached to death, God hates. Things that are attached to the promotion of life, God loves. God loves. These video games that uh, are shoot 'em up and blood and gore and violence, Satan is the author of death. God is the author of life. Just don't know that God really values that. I believe we live in a throwaway society. You get through something, you throw it away. And so we're so used to throwing things away that we don't really even value life anymore. Second Samuel chapter 8, verse 6, the Bible says this, The Lord preserved David, preserved David whithersoever he went. Down in chapter 8, verse 14, it says, The Lord preserved David, 2 Samuel 8, 14, The Lord preserved David whithersoever he went. So the same phrase found in both verses, and God used different circumstances in both of those verses to be able to preserve the life of David. Why? Because God preserves the sanctity of life. Let me give you some of these, some of these other ones really quick. Letter B, He preserves our spirit. 
He preserves our spirit. Job chapter 10. If you're in Job 7, turn over to Job chapter 10. Job chapter 10 and verse 12. Fascinating verses as thou hast granted me life and favor in thy visitation hath preserved my spirit, preserved my spirit. Here Job is in the midst of all of this pain and hurt and, and, and all this loss. His children are all dead. He's lost all his wealth. He's laying in the city dump. He's scraping his sores and uh, with pottery. And he says, Lord, you have preserved my spirit. Let her see. Notice he preserves the saints. He preserves the saints. Turn over to uh, Psalm chapter 37 with me. Psalm chapter 37. Again, it's just one book there to the right if you're in Job. Psalm chapter 37 in verse number 28. The Bible says there, I'll begin reading, For the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever. He values the saints. You say, well, what is a saint? That's not the football team in New Orleans, all right? A saint is someone who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save them. You are adopted into the family of God. If God is your heavenly Father and you have put your faith in, uh, because you put your faith in Jesus Christ to save you, then you are His saint. You are His saints. Uh, we are His saints. Uh, letter uh, uh, Jude, Jude verse 1, it says this, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. And so if you are a saint, you are being sanctified. More about that in the later sermon. If you are being sanctified, then you are preserved inside the person of Jesus Christ. Letter D, we see he preserves the soul of mankind. He preserves the soul of mankind. Turn over to Psalm 121. We're going to look at uh, Psalm 121 for the next two subpoints here. Psalm 121 and verse number 7. Wait for those pages to quit turning. Some of you, I think you just sit there and this is what you do. You go. All right. Psalm 21, verse 7, The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. Look at this. He shall preserve thy soul. Letter D, He preserves the soul. The soul of mankind. Do you know that your soul is different than your flesh? Now, there are religions that try to remove the idea of a three-part human. The body, the soul, and the spirit. But just like God is a triune being, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit... You are a triune being as well. Why? Because you've been made in His image. There is your flesh, your body. There is your soul, that which communicates with God. Uh, that which is made alive upon your salvation. There is your spirit. Your spirit is the seat of your emotions. You can say, well, that guy's in a bad spirit or that guy's in a bad mood, right? And the Holy Spirit moves in and He takes over and controls our spirit. There's three parts. Your, your body and spirit will stay here. Your soul will go on forever to live with the Lord. And so God preserves the souls of those that trust Him. In fact, Psalm 86, verse 2, hold your place in 121. Let me read this verse for you. Preserve my soul, for I am holy, O thou my God. Save the servant that trusteth in thee. Save the servant. Save the servant's soul 
that trusteth in Thee. You may be here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You have not become alive in Christ. Let me just say this, that Adam's soul and Eve's soul died the day they ate the fruit in the Garden of Eden. God told them, the day that ye eat of that fruit, ye shall surely die. Now, their flesh didn't die, but their soul died. Their soul died. And how does a person's soul become made alive? Your soul becomes alive when you put your faith and trust in the fact that Jesus Christ came and He suffered in your place. He died for you. And you turn from your unbelief. You turn from what you might be believing that's wrong. And you turn and you look at the cross uh, uh, and you see a Jesus who lived and died and was buried and rose again from the dead. And you say, I believe and trust in you for my salvation. There needs to be a singular moment on the timeline of your life where you turn and trust Christ for your salvation. And when you do that, your soul becomes alive and you have a promise in God's word that he is going to preserve your soul. I am so happy today that one day when this old flesh dies, my life is really just going to begin. Because this soul is going to leave me and go to heaven and be given a new body. And I'm telling you, that body isn't going to hurt. It's not going to ache. It's not going to be grouchy. It's not going to get angry. Uh, It's not going to get hungry. It's not going to get frustrated. It's not going to need a doctor or a hospital. It's going to live forever in perfect bliss. Why? Because God is preserving our soul. Are you being convinced this morning that God is the preserver? But wait, there's more. Letter E, He preserves our steps. Look down at verse number 8. The Lord of Psalm 121, The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Uh, The Lord shall, excuse me, Preserve thy going out and thy coming in. He preserves thy steps. And this is obviously uh, uh, following that of verse 7, where uh, he preserves our soul. This is of a saint. He preserves our uh, steps. Letter F. Before we get into letter letter F, if God preserves all of these things, please hear me, because this is really going to help build the sermon. This is an important part of the sermon. If God cares so much about preserving uh, all of those things that were listed, the sanctity of life, our spirit, uh, 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 what were some of the others there? Can you back that slide up there for me, Brother Matt, there? Uh, one more. Uh, the sanctity of life, our spirit, the saints. And then the next slide, there they are, the soul of mankind and our steps. If God cares about preserving all those things, don't you think that He would care about valuing this right here and preserving it? Now, does God value you? Of course He does. He created you. So he's going to preserve that. Does God value the continuation of human life on planet Earth? Clearly. Clearly. Does God value uh, uh, your soul? Does God value your spirit? Don't you think that God maybe values his book on the same level or maybe even a little more than he values those things? For someone to say that God would uh, inspire a Bible on Earth but not preserve it, to me, they don't know... God very well. Psalm chapter 12, verse 6 and 7, where we started. Letter F, he preserves the Scriptures. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times, thou shalt keep them, 
O Lord. That word keep implies guard or means guard to put a fence around, to, to watch, to have a watchtower looking over. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Look at this. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The Bible, which we know is given to us by God, we talked about that last week. If you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go back online and listen to it or uh, uh, get the CD and listen to it, and you can hear all the logic and explanation of that. Um, God has given us His Word, and in that Word, He had David pinned down that He would preserve His Word. Um, Psalm chapter 138, verse 2 says this, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. Then it says this, For thou hast magnified thy word above thy name. How much does God value the Bible? He values it more than he values his own reputation. That's how much he values it. Now, how much do you think God values his reputation? A whole lot. The Bible, the Word of God, is valued even above that. So, we see, point number one, that God is the preserver. Alright, number two, let's look at the promise of preservation. I've got to move through this one really quick because I've got a lot more to cover and I'm short on time here. Number two, the promise of uh, preservation. I would like for you to just sit up and listen to some of these verses that I'm going to read here. God's Word promises us that, uh, that it would stay preserved uh, 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 from the time it was written, even before that, from the time it was uh, in heaven, all the way down uh, 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 through the end of time. It says here, Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, and you can jot these references down if you're taking notes and go back and look at them later, but just listen intently here. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Now what is a jot? A jot is the smallest letter in the Hebrew, uh, rather the Greek language. What is a tittle? It is like, it would be equivalent to the dot above an I or a J. It's a part of a letter. God here promised that not one letter would pass. Not one part of a letter would pass until all be fulfilled. Until all be fulfilled. Jesus Himself promised us that His Word would be preserved for all generations. Second Kings chapter 10, verse 10. Now, know now that there shall fall upon the earth nothing of the Word of the Lord. Uh, you will not lose the Word of the Lord. Psalm 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endureth. It lasts. It endures. It is there till, to all generations. His truth. Uh, uh, the Bible says, Sanctify us by thy truth. Thy word is truth. And so we're promised in God's book that uh, his word would endure to all generations. One more here for you. First Peter one twenty five. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. So the word of the Lord endureth Forever, the promise of preservation. All right, number three, the process of preservation. The process of preservation. Before we get into this point, let me just uh, make sure I, 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 get, I state this. In every sermon, I seek to do two things. I seek to teach you something new. All right, especially if you haven't been coming to church for a long time. Then I, teach, I work to inspire or motivate you to go out and live the Bible. I did a whole lot of reading this week on the preservation of the Bible. Now, obviously, I've studied this before. I studied in Bible college, I studied before Bible college, I studied after Bible college, but it's been a few years. And so I wanted to kind of dust, up, dust off what I knew. And so 
I, um, I pulled off some books off the shelf. I pulled up some articles on the Internet that, that teach this and believe this. And can I tell you something? I almost fell asleep reading it. Wasn't the most exciting topic I look at, but I got to tell you, it's an important one. Um, most of what's out there is on a collegiate level. So if you like studying intellectual things, boy, you're going to really enjoy the next part of the sermon. I understand, though, that when a pastor gets into some heavy teaching, that he can lose some people. And so here's what I'm going to ask you. Pay attention on purpose. Point number three, we're going to work on understanding how the Bible was preserved. Point number four, I'm going to give you something practical that you can take home and help you be a better Christian this week. All right? So please, pay attention on purpose here. Number three. We're going to look at the process of preservation. How did God manage to get his book from heaven to earth and then keep it perfect from its original form down to where it, where we are today? Letter A, notice the canonization of Scripture. Ah, pastor, we just entered a classroom. Yes, you did. All right, the canonization of Scripture. What does that word canon mean? That doesn't mean that you shoot cannonballs at people. All right, that's not what that means. Canon, the canon of Scripture. That word canon uh, means this. It means a straight edge used to make precise measurements. A straight edge used to make precise uh, measurements. Have you ever wondered how uh, uh, the books of the Bible were picked or who, put, who, who picked the books of the Bible? Has that a question ever gone through your head? How many of you ever wondered that? Why these books... There were other books that were written. How did they know to leave those out and put these in? How did they know to put them in the order that they're in? Uh, especially when you get into the Old Testament, you'll be reading about King uh, uh, Josiah and the Kings of Chronicles, and then you read about him again in the prophets, and you're like, wait a minute, why didn't they just you know, put those right next to each other? Well, how come that is that way? Uh, am I alone in, in, in having wondered that? You all have wondered that, right? So how did they know to pick the books of the Bible that we have, how do they know to put them in the order that they're in? Well, if you've wondered that, I'm going to try to help you understand that uh, right now. Let's first consider the Old Testament. Um, the simplest, turn over to Luke chapter 24, if you would. Luke chapter 24, third book of the New Testament. Luke 24. The simplest way for me to tell you um, that the Old Testament is right is because of the person in the New Testament who said that it's right. We had the Old Testament in the order that it's in now, both the order that it's in and the books that are in there, that was already put together when Jesus walked the earth. And Jesus himself, in Luke 24, 44, would endorse and put his stamp of approval. The living word would put his stamp of approval on the written word of the Old Testament. Look at verse 44. It Bible says, And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses. All right, that's the first five books of the Old Testament. And in the prophets, that would be, uh, uh, that would be, uh, the, uh, the, 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 that would be the history books and then the pr- prophetic books and in the Psalms concerning me. Those three categories cover the entire Old Testament. And so here Jesus Christ is saying, uh, uh, I 
endorse. I, uh, I, I agree that you all's collection of the Old Testament is the correct version. Now, you might wonder, well, is the Hebrew Old Testament, the, the Ju- Judaism, their Old Testament, is it the same as our Old Testament? And the answer is yes. All right. Some of their books are combined together and called by one book. We break some of those out. Uh, so their Bible, their Old Testament Bible, which they only believe in the Old Testament, contains fewer books, but all of the same words are in there. So our Old Testament was endorsed by Jesus Christ himself. But what about the New Testament? Who picked those books and determined whether or not they were qualified to be in the Holy Bible? Consider this quote. The church no more gave us the New Testament canon than Sir Isaac Newton gave us the force of gravity. God gave us gravity. By his work of creation, and similarly, he gave us the New Testament canon by inspiring the individual books that make it up. Now, by the time the Council of Trent met to canonize the New Testament in the Bible, the New Testament books had already been authenticated by the churches using them. The New Testament churches had already basically assembled the New Testament or had assembled the New Testament. And so the Council of Trent didn't sit down and go, hmm, First Peter, should it be in there? No, no, no. First Peter, it was already widely popular and widely accepted, as all the New Testament books were, that they should be there. The Council of Trent met and basically put their stamp of endorsement and approval on what the New Testament churches had already accepted as being uh, the Word of God. A good, a good way for me to illustrate this is that if I were to put uh, ten uh, uh, rulers in a room and only one of them was right, and you all knew what a ruler should look like, it wouldn't take you long to throw the other nine away and know that that one's right. The men who walked the earth during the time that Jesus lived, uh, walked with Jesus. They understood uh, what Jesus wanted in a Bible, and Jesus himself will look at it in a minute. Jesus himself even told them, I will help you with this process by giving you the Holy Spirit. These men were around and integral in helping to pick uh, uh, both the writing of the books and then the assembling of the New Testament. All right, so there were three qualifications uh, that each New Testament book uh, has met in order to qualify it being in there. If you want to write these down, uh, you can write them down. The first one is, and they won't be on the screen here, but the first one is prophetic authorship. Prophetic authorship. For a book to be considered canonical or meeting the standard, it must have been written by a prophet or apostle or by one who had a very special relationship to such. For instance, John Mark had a relationship with Peter. Uh, Luke had a relationship with Paul. And so uh, they either had to be a prophet or apostle or had to be very, very, very close to one of those men. Only those who had witnessed the events or had recorded eyewitness testimonies could have their writings considered as Holy Scripture. So prophetic authorship. The first, uh, second category would be witness of the Spirit, witness of the Spirit. The appeal to the inner witness of the Holy Spirit was also made to aid the people in understanding which books belonged in the canon and which did not. Clark Pinnock writes, The Spirit did not reveal a list of inspired books, but left their recognition to a historical process in which He, the Holy Spirit, was active. God's people learned to distinguish wheat from chaff and gold from gravel as He worked in their hearts. So the witness of the Spirit. The third category would be acceptance. Acceptance. 
the final test in the acceptance of the people is the acceptance of the people of God. Jesus told his disciples, in fact, turn over to John chapter 14 and verse 26. Turn over there with me. You're in Luke. It's one book to the right. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 14, right there toward the end of the book. John chapter 14 and verse number 26. By the way, Jesus is giving this instruction as he's leaving the Last Supper and walking uh, up to the Mount of Olives where he would be arrested and then uh, um, uh, falsely tried and then killed. So these were kind of last moment instructions by Jesus to his disciples as he's getting ready to die. It says there in verse 26 of John 14, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So as these men are pinning down the stories uh, of, of uh, their time with Jesus, Jesus says to them, listen, I'm going to give you the Holy Ghost. He's going to help you remember uh, precisely what happened, what was said, and help you to get those things written down. So uh, we have the promise of Jesus that his disciples would be given total recall by the Holy Spirit of the things uh, he said and did. These same disciples either wrote the New Testament books or had strong input into which works were accepted as Scripture. Any book that claimed canonical status, yet diverted from the truth of the life of Christ, would have been rejected by Jesus' own disciples who were eyewitnesses of the New Testament events. Thus, the acceptance of God's people is an important uh, criterion for the book to be considered Canonical. So uh, the Old Testament was written and endorsed by God. The New Testament, or by Jesus Himself, the New Testament was endorsed by those who walked with Jesus and promised by Jesus in John fourteen twenty six. So that's how we know that we have the right books. Okay, letter B. Notice the copies of the scriptures. The copies of the scriptures. Let me say that we do not have any of the original documents where the prophets or apostles scribbled down the words that were given to us by God. There aren't any left. How many of you here have ever been to D.C. and seen the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence? National Archives Museum, been there several times. Used to live down that way. Um, there is no museum that has Genesis or First Peter or Revelation. Okay, those writings are gone. They're gone. Clearly, if God wanted to preserve those, he could have, couldn't he? He is the preserver, after all. But he didn't see it as being important. Why not? Because he knew that a perfect standard of truth could be maintained while those faded away and were lost. So, how did the work of preservation, how did that go? Practically, men took... Uh, uh, practically, men took the originals and copied every word to another scroll or book. Each generation had scribes who were responsible for handling the scriptures and preserving them. God divinely intervened to make sure that the Bible would not be tainted or destroyed throughout this process. Now, mistakes were made. But they were set to the side or those uh, uh, those scrolls or books that had the mistakes were neglected and put in the back of a library. Hold on to that thought. I'm going to come back to that next week. 
the good copies were continually used to make more copies so that God's word could be preserved. So you've got scribes who their life's calling is to copy the Bible from one perfect document and make another perfect document, not one jot or tittle being lost from one to the other. And several copies would be made and say one was messed up. Well, just like a a banker going through a stack of 100s can quickly identify a counterfeit, those who knew the Bible could quickly identify the counterfeit, set it to the side and preserve the copies that were right. And so that the next generation would come along, they would take that stack of, of copies that were perfect and they would make more books, more Bibles that were perfect where the counterfeits would be tossed out. And that process has continued generation after generation after generation down into today's generation. So that's the process, uh, the process. Next week, we'll talk about how the giving or inspiration of the Bible and the keeping or preservation of the Bible still holds true through the process of the translation from its original language into our English language. Are you all beginning to get some mental understanding as to why this is important? That the Bible in your lap and the language that it's in be accurate? Next week, I, I'm going to whet your, whet your appetite and give a shameless plug for next Sunday service. You need to be here next Sunday. Because if you go to a Christian bookstore right now, there's 35 different versions of the Bible in the English language there. And they don't all say the same things the same way. So either God is going to preserve His Bible and keep it perfect, or He's not. And if we believe in preservation, then there can only be one version of the Bible in the English language that is totally perfect where not one jot or tittle is missing. And so next week I'm going to lay out for you why at White Oak Baptist Church we believe the King James Version of the Bible to be the only Bible for the English-speaking people. I'll, I'll go over that next week. I don't have all the time to get into that this week. Now, how many of you remember last week when I talked about my teenage faith crisis? You all remember that from last week? All right. I talked about how I was sitting in a, in a camp, those of you that weren't here, I was sitting at a Christian camp as a 16-year-old man. Uh, the, man the pastor's up there, he's preaching a hot, heavy sermon, and, and, uh, and I had this, this harsh reality hit me like a ton of bricks. And I mean, I was dazed, I was lost, I was confused. Um, I, I said to myself, what if the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Muslims or the Catholics or the Presbyterians or the Hindus... What if, what if one of them have it right and I have got it wrong? I mean, all of them think they've got it right. So what if they've got it right and I've got it wrong? And man, I was in a tight spot. I, I left that team camp confused, unsure. I believe my parents had tried to teach me what was truth, but were they really teaching me truth? Were they deceived as well? And so I took everything that I believed and I put it up to question. And I said, I have got to decide for myself whether or not this is true. And so I began with the Bible. Is the Bible true or not? Last week I presented all of the evidence on why I, or what I uncovered, what I unearthed, to believe that God did give us a Bible. The next question I was left with was, is the Bible still accurate? And I began to study this preservation idea. Can I share with you the conclusion I drew to as a young man at the end of that study? Here's the conclusion I drew to. And boy, I hope every textual critic out there will 
tune into this part of the sermon and listen to it. And if you don't agree with this, I would love to hear you come back because this is pretty strong, powerful stuff. If God is powerful enough to create man out of the dust of the earth, then God is powerful enough to give his, give his word to man and preserve his word for man. If God is powerful enough to destroy every living thing on earth with a flood, save Noah and his family, then God is powerful enough to give his word to man and preserve his word for man. If God is powerful enough to allow His Son to be born through the womb of a virgin girl, then God is powerful enough to give His Word to man and preserve His Word perfectly for man. If God is powerful enough to allow His Son to become the sins of the world and die in their place, then God is powerful enough to give His Word to man and preserve it perfectly down for every man. If God is powerful enough to raise up Jesus from the dead and buy back the souls of His creation uh, that sin and Satan had stolen away, then God is powerful enough to give His Word to man and preserve His Word for every single generation. Folks, either it's all true and preserved or it's all a lie. There is no room in between. There's no room in between. And I would say this, why would God go through great pain to uh, redeem and buy back man and write a book about it and then not work to keep it perfect down for every generation so they could know that truth? And I'm here to tell you today that while it might seem odd for someone to make that many copies of a book and keep it perfect, it is not odd when you inject God into the mix and know that His providential hand, His, His watching careful hand was there to keep it preserved for every generation. So we've looked at uh, three points here. Let's look at number four and we'll wrap it up. Notice the practice of preservation. The practice of preservation. i got to say that... Um, I really thought it would be a lot later when I got to this point. I am psyched that it's only uh, 8 till 12, and uh, we're on point number 4 here. So, glory, hallelujah, the practice of preservation. So, we're going to uh, try to make this sermon super, super practical for you today so that you can live and hang your hat on something to uh, better your life. It's one thing to know that your Bible is inspired, preserved, and perfect, well, what's that matter if it's not being put to use? What's that matter? What's it matter if it's just an encyclopedia you refer to sometimes? What's it matter if it sits on the car dash from Sunday to Sunday and the only time it gets moved is when you walk into church? What's it matter if it's just a decoration piece on your coffee table or your, your end table and you blow the dust off before you walk out the door for church every Sunday? It doesn't matter that God's Bible is perfectly preserved if it isn't infecting your heart and changing your heart. Interestingly enough, as I studied out the word preserved for this message today, what I found is that not only does God preserve, and not only does God uh, preserve His book, but God gives us things to do so that we can preserve ourselves. Well, what are those things that we're to do? Well, let's look at quickly an A, B, C, and a D. Notice letter A. We are preserved by our fear of God. We are preserved by our fear of God. Turn back over to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So, uh, fifth book of the Bible there. Uh, if you get to Joshua, you went past it. If you're in Numbers, you're, you keep going. You've got a book to go. Deuteronomy chapter number 6. And verse number... 24. 
It says there, and the Lord commanded us to do all these statues, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is at this day. Now, this is what we call a conditional promise. You ever told your child, we'll go get ice cream if you clean your room? Right? You're not going to go get ice cream unless they meet the condition. God here is saying that to, to this group of people, I will preserve you alive, but you must fear me. You must fear me. If you don't care for that word fear and you think it's too strong of a word, uh, another word you could put there is the word reverence. Reverence. i got to say I am afraid of God. I'm afraid of Him hurting me through my sin because of my sin, and I'm afraid of hurting Him, disappointing Him because of my sin. Um, we have several men in the room who are military. For that I say thank you. I do what I do because you did what you did. In the military, you can lead by your position. There's a lot of that that goes on. Right? They've just been there longer than you, so they tell you what to do. But they're not really qualified to lead. But those that have either worked a job, uh, this is also relatable to work, but especially to our military men, you've had that one commanding officer who you feared. Not only because he could make you do 100 push-ups, but because you know he, you knew he cared about you. That's the relationship God wants you to have with Him. When you get to that place where you fear God, and you, you know He cares for you and you care about Him, boy, that is an act that encourages God to preserve you that much more. Letter B, we are preserved by our character. Turn over to Psalm chapter 25. We'll work our way from left to right here through your Bible. Psalm chapter 25. I had a youth pastor who at one point, or rather a man who worked with our youth department, he got gotten saved as an adult, and he was preaching out of Psalms one time, and he said, he said, when I first got saved, I thought the book of Psalms was pronounced Psalms. Psalms. Anybody else? I wonder anybody else ever here ever thought that. Psalms. But it's Psalms. Psalms 25, verse 21. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on thee. Integrity and uprightness. Christian, how's your character? Oh, yes, God will preserve life, right? Generally preserve it, keep it going on earth. Um, make sure that no meteors hit the planet and kill us all. And, you know, he's, he's got his watchful hand, he's preserving. He's going to preserve the Bible, right? And he's going to preserve the soul of the saints. But do you know him preserving your spirit is sort of conditional? If you don't have any character, you're going to be in a bad mood a lot. Now, what is character? Character is what you do and nobody else is watching. That's what character is. Um, fudging on your timesheet a little bit at work? That's not uprightness. Tax season's coming. Claiming a deduction that you don't have, your dog does not count as a deduction. Neither does your ferret. You're preserved by your character. Letter C, we are preserved by godly wisdom. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 2. Almost done here. We are preserved by godly wisdom. 
Solomon, the wisest man to ever walked the earth. He had a lot to say about wisdom. Look here, Proverbs 2.11 says, Discretion shall preserve thee, understanding shall keep thee. Look at chapter 4, verse 6. Forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Speaking of wisdom. Love her, love wisdom, and she shall keep thee. Godly wisdom. Um, I'm 34 years old, turned 34 uh, earlier this month. If you haven't told me happy birthday yet, you can tell me later. No, I'm just teasing. Uh, I've seen a lot in 34 years. Many people have told me they think I have more wisdom than the average 34-year-old. That may or may not be so. Don't know. doesn't really matter. Let me tell you why it doesn't matter. Because I have a God who's been around forever. And His wisdom so far exceeds mine. It doesn't matter if I'm 34 and dumb or 34 and smart. The answer to being preserved is to tap into His wisdom, not live by my own. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 28. I'll read it for you. Mercy and truth preserve the king. What are mercy and truth? Mercy and truth is a balance. When do you show mercy? When do you drop the hammer? That's a balance. That, 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 that involves discretion and wisdom. Letter D. We are preserved by our daily sacrifice. One last verse to have you turn to. Luke chapter 17, verse 33. Luke chapter 17, verse 33. Jesus loves to give these backwards-sounding statements. These statements that seem to deeply and greatly contradict um, human logic. Very thought-provoking statement we find in Luke 17.33. Again, we talked about this on Wednesday night, how Jesus taught an upside-down kingdom as a king. The greatest serves... To, to get your life, you, you lose it. Look at verse 33. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. Whosoever shall lose his life shall, there's that word again, preserve it. How do you preserve your life? You lose it inside of Christ. That requires a daily sacrifice. Now, I'm going to tie points three and four together. I'm going to tie point four back to the rest of the sermon. Some of you here may already know where I'm going with this. For those of you that don't, really hang on the edge of your seat because I think you'll have an aha moment here. We cannot be preserved by our obedience to God in these areas if we do not know how to accurately practice them. God's holy book teaches us how to fear God, how to live by character, how to have godly wisdom, how to daily sacrifice and do so properly for our Lord and Savior. If God's book is not preserved, then as Christians, we have no hope in living preserved lifestyles. God, the preserver, has given us a preserved book so that we can live preserved lives. That, my friends, is why we need an every word Bible. We need an every word Bible. Let me ask you a question, Christian. Are you convinced that the book that you hold, assuming you have the right version of the Bible there, 
You, are you convinced that the book you hold, God preserved it? You convinced that? How many of you convinced of that today? See your hand. Okay, very good. You letting it change your life? Are you are you fearing God? Are you living by character? Are you living by wisdom? Are you living through daily sacrifice? Are you learning how to do those things through this book? Because if you're not, if you're not, then this preserved book cannot help you live to preserve life. Let's go forth and do these things. Amen. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Earlier in the message, I talked about how God preserves the soul. God promises to save the soul of those who put their faith and trust in Him. Salvation does not come by good behavior. A home in heaven is not promised because you outdo the rest of humanity in your good deeds. You cannot give enough money to a church or organization. You cannot feed enough hungry stomachs. You cannot help enough old ladies across the street. You cannot do enough kind deeds for your neighbors to get into heaven. Those do not erase the sins of your life. Do not erase the sins of your life. You're here today and you can't think of that singular moment where you put your faith and trust in Jesus to save you. And that day needs to be today. The reason is because you're not promised tomorrow. You're not promised five minutes from now. All across this country and all across this world, there are people that are your age today that will die. You probably won't die, but you could. If you've not yet looked to the cross of Jesus and His sacrifice, you've not yet called out to Him in desperation to save your soul, then, my friend, you are bound for a place called hell. Hell is a literal place described more in the Bible than heaven is. God does not want you to go to hell. That's why He went through the links of killing His own Son on a cross in your place. He sent His Son through hell on the cross so that your soul could be rescued from that eternal damnation. You say, Pastor, how do I get saved? You just simply call on His name. Just like a drowning man calls for the the lifeguard, you look up to the lifeguard of Jesus who's worthy of saving you from the ocean of sin and you call on Him and He'll do that. My friend, you can't rely on you. You just simply rely on the lifeguard. I look at a drowning person who tries to grab hold of a lifeguard and through his own actions he can only drown him and the lifeguard. My friend, you cannot be saved through your own works. You must throw up your hands, quit trying, and trust in Jesus. How many here today say, Pastor, there was a day and time in my life I put my faith and trust in Jesus. I called out on my eternal lifeguard and he saved my soul. Here's my hand, the testimony of that. How many here today say, Pastor, I don't know that I've done that. I believe in Jesus and I love him, but I don't know that he's, I've actually asked him to save me. If that's you and you're here today, I don't want to embarrass you. That's why everybody's eyes are closed. This is between me, me and you and the Lord, but I'd like to pray for you. If you're here today and you don't know you're going to heaven, could you just signify that by slipping your hand up? Very quietly and quickly and slipping it back down. Is there one? 
I trust that means everyone here is saved. If you've not put your faith in Jesus, would love to talk to you about, uh, with you about that after the service. How many here today say, Pastor, while I am convinced beyond all shadow of a doubt that God has reserved his Bible, I'm not convinced that I'm totally allowing it to dictate my lifestyle. Pastor, pray for me that I will begin to learn these works of preservation for the Christian from the preserved book of the Bible. Pastor, would you pray for me with this? If that's you, would you slip up your hand? How many here today say, Pastor, I am going through a very difficult time in my life and I need to know that God's right by my side. Would you please pray for me as I struggle through this difficulty? If that's you, would you slip up your hand? Lord, I do pray that you would encourage the discouraged, that you would strengthen the weak, that you would bind up the brokenhearted, that you would love the hurt. Lord, some are facing some pretty strong headwinds right now of a storm. Would you either calm the child through the storm or calm the storm for the child? Lord, I pray that you'd help us to take this preserved book and live by it, practice it. Read it, study it, understand it. May it be high and lifted up in our own hearts. Do a great work during this time of invitation. May your Holy Spirit convict us, prod us, to make serious, real changes. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet. The altar's open. I encourage you to come and kneel and pray here at the front. If you have a decision you want to make for the Lord, oh, you can make it in the pew. Sure means a little bit more when you come and kneel. Talk to the Lord about it. How many here today say, Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm going to heaven. I can talk to you after church. Or you could come down with the others that have come and we could have somebody take a Bible right now and help you with that. There's one here today that's been saved, yet you've not followed the Lord in that first step of obedience. Will you get in line with what the Bible teaches about baptism? Our baptismal waters are ready. We'd be happy to baptize you right now. You've been saved and been baptized, but you've not yet joined our church. You'd like more information about that. We can provide that for you as well down here at the front. Will you make a decision today to change your life for the better, whether you're here at the altar or there in the pew? Let's do that while the piano plays. All right, you can look this way. What a great week it has been. Last uh, Sunday morning, Jimmy, you back there? Last Sunday morning, Jimmy uh, trusted Christ as a Savior after the service. Cindy down here trusted Christ after uh, church service. And uh, last Sunday night, Jimmy got baptized. And then on Wednesday night, Janice down here who had gotten saved in church service some time back, she got baptized. And so those of you that weren't here Sunday night or Wednesday night, I thought I'd share that with you. That was really, really neat to see. And uh, we talked to Cindy about baptism. She's, she's lining up 
the, the, the people to come for that. So we're really excited for her on that there. And several others of you uh, have been considering that decision. Let me just say that um, uh, it's an important decision to make. That water there isn't going to wash any sins away, but it will identify you with Christ. And I've got to tell you, I can't think of a better person to be identified with than Jesus Christ. And you have a church full of people who will be thrilled to death and excited for you. Brother John, I see you got your grandbaby there. Grandbabies. Love it. Thank you for being here today. I'd love to shake your hand on the way out the door if that opportunity arises. John, why don't you close the service for us in prayer?